Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Good morning. Uh, before we get rolling, <clears throat> I need to um, I need to say I need to say something to you, to some of you, some of you. I'm saying this because I need this said to me often, so I'm saying it to you. Do you ever have that feeling like you're just not, when you consider yourself on a spiritual level, like I'm not there, like I'm not, like I'm not getting it. I mean, I'm like I'm less than I should be, that I'm not where I need to be, that God is probably mad at me. You know that? That thing. I don't know if you ever feel that, but I sometimes do. Um, when I look out into this congregation, I am amazed at the bravery of people who feel that way, yet get up, drag themselves out of bed at an inconvenient hour, put on something that resembles um, an outfit that matches, you know. We do something to our face or hair. And we come to this place, even though we don't love social interaction, and we sit and we listen as somebody is going to be as abrasive or as gentle as an abrasive person can be, smashing stuff at me because I hope to maybe hear something that is going to let me understand one more thing about God. And so I just want to tell you that if you feel that way, um, like you're doing it, like you're here. Do you remember when you didn't go to church? Do you remember when your life didn't look like it looks right now? Drug and alcohol recovery classes years ago, we used to say this. How many of you feel like you're really moving forward? I don't know, I feel like I'm kind of stagnant. Okay, here's a new barometer. When's the last time you slept on the bathroom floor? <laughs> all of a sudden you saw all these smiles. Like all these people were like, doing pretty good, aren't I? <laughs> you're doing it. There were worse days, right? Like, there were days we weren't making it, you know? There were days we weren't doing it, you know? The bed was there. The pillow was the toilet. It was bad, you know? We're not there. We're not there. We're in a different place. So I admire your bravery. appreciate you being here. Uh, let's jump into uh, Song of Solomon. Last week we talked about Song of Solomon chapter 1. And let's just do a little bit of review. Starts in the beginning of chapter 1. She says, Dark am I yet lovely, dark like the tent curtains of Solomon, like the tent curtains of Kadar, like the tents of Kadar. What she's saying is, My skin is burnt up. I work outside like a man all the time. And then she says to Solomon, Stop staring at me. I'm not attractive. They have a little bit more conversation, and Solomon says to her, you are beautiful. You are beautiful. Your cheeks, your earrings, your face, we're going to give you great gifts. I love you. You are beautiful. You are charming. You are just, everything about you is perfect and lovely and wonderful. Chapter 1, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes are. Doves, he says. You know what I love about doves is they look so fragile. When they fly off, they sound so fragile. 
Have you ever seen them land, like just light down in the yard, and you'll walk out there, and you'll hear them, and when they fly off, not all birds do, but doves do. When they fly off, they make this noise, this fluttering, spastic-sounding noise as they fly off together. They're vulnerable. They look so weak and so vulnerable. My darling, your eyes are doves. They're so vulnerable. Gets to chapter 2, and then she says this, I am the rose of Sharon. I am the lily of the valley. A minute ago, she said, don't look at me. I'm not pretty. Now she's saying, check me out. I'm looking pretty good. What happened? Something happened. Something changed. Well, here's what changed. She's surrounded by a man who is full of compliments. And when you're surrounded by a man who's full of compliments, you cannot help but become beautiful. You can't help it. You cannot help but to take on the same attitude. It's like this. Your words, husbands, your words become her mirror. We don't always know where our spouse came from, what she's gone through, what she's dealt with. Self-perception, what she's heard as a little girl. We don't know. These images that we carry over. Let me tell you a funny story. I was sitting in class, and I remember I was in the seventh grade. I'm sitting in class, and the most beautiful girl in our whole school in the seventh grade, which I don't know how beautiful you can be in the seventh grade, you know, but whatever. We thought she was the most beautiful, and she turned around, and she looked at me, and she says, your nose is big. <laughs> Listen, I was fine not knowing that all the way up to the seventh grade. I didn't know that. I was completely unaware. No one had ever mentioned it. I appreciated that. But then this beautiful girl said it. I don't know that those words have ever left my head since. <laughs> like, it's just one of those things. It's just there. Your nose is big. And I'm like, I remember I was warned. I was told, you know. There's these things that just stick. We don't know. But they can be undone. They can be overcome. Inside the marriage, here's the deal. Men, you're compliment ready. But listen, and, and I have to even be careful saying men. Men, you need to because it's the responsibility of you to lead your family, all right? So men, you have to do this because it's your responsibility. Ladies, on the other side, here's the thing. I'm kind of over that whole trying to generalize men are this way, women are this way. I don't fit in that at all, you know? Not at all. I will say men are like this except my wife. And women are like this, except for me, you know? And that's how, I, that's how we fit. Ours is messed up that way or wired that way. To be able to generalize one and say it's this or it's that. Women, men are no different. Men need to be complimented. You don't think they need to be complimented? Oh, but they're just big and strong. Listen, they're not big and strong, all right? They're just, they carry on like so, but they're not. Things from you, compliments from you, they matter. They matter. And so if we, become, if we become generous with our words and compliment ready, it makes a difference. So this was chapter one. All of a sudden now she's beautiful because his words became a mirror for her. And now she is saying, I'm the Rose of Sharon. I'm the Lily of the Valley. Because she has been inundated with these great words. If you don't believe this is true, find a woman who has been verbally beat down and it does not matter what she looks like. You can look at her and you can, you can tell. She does not believe it. Oh, you're beautiful. She does not believe it. She, she can't believe it. She's been told too many times that it's not true. She can't get there. And you know people like that. People who have just lived in that marriage for that long 
And they, they can't. They can't overcome that. So this is chapter one. We moved on from chapter one a little bit further. And uh, she says, Solomon is like an apple tree. He produces shade. He produces sustenance. Being with him is great. It is wonderful. Um, his fruit is sweet to the taste. He has taken me to the banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. When military troops would march across uh, and they would fight, they would have these big banners that would go over the top of them, and you would know who was coming at you. Is that the enemy or not the enemy? You can tell, oh, that must be Nero's army. This must be Spartacus's army. This must be whoever's army. It doesn't, Custer's army. It doesn't matter who it is. Somebody's coming. How do we tell who it is? There's a banner over the top, and they used to bring it across, and you would know this is who they are. She says, he has paraded me out. He has taken me out. He's taken me out to the banqueting hall. And like a general who knows where his troops are and who's coming. He's put a banner over me, and the banner is what? Solomon? No. The banner is love. He has identified this thing. She says, I live under this banner of love. Who was your king? Love. Who's your commander? Love. She said, this is how I feel all the time. And then she says the emotion, we talked about this, the, her physical response to him caring for her heart. She says, uh, strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head. His right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And we left off with this idea that there should be a line drawn. Single people, there should be a line drawn to where we say, I'm not going to cross this line. Why? Because you saw her do this earlier. Early in the relationship. She stopped the relationship and she said, listen, the physicality of this is going somewhere, but it can't. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. This is not the time for us to intimately cross that line. So draw the line and we're stopping right here. Because she does that, she is blessed with another level in this relationship and the relationship goes to a deeper place. She stops it again. Now the relationship is going to go even to a deeper place. Ironically enough, though, there's also going to be a fight, which if you put the brakes on in the middle of a relationship and the physicality on the sexuality part, you put the brakes on, it's going to, it's going to upend some stuff. Correct? It's going to cause some frustration in there. But listen, that is, you can deal with that. You know what you can't deal with? Being married without God's blessing. That's what you can't deal with. Marriage is hard. Marriage can ruin romance. Agreed? Marriage can absolutely ruin romance. We need God's blessing in this as much as we can possibly get it. She draws the line. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Chapter 2. Here we go. Starting in verse 8. Listen, my lover. Mm. Sorry. Listen, my lover. Look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My lover is like a gazelle or a young stag. Stud, if you need the translation. <laughs> Look, here he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. This is not as creepy as it sounds. My lover spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come away with me. See, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone, flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. 
The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me. What season are we in? Spring. Love is always in the spring. It's so exciting. And the birds are cooing and the angels are singing. And we are in love. I'm in love. I'm in love. You know? Like this is what it is. And it's so, so just nice and gushy and wonderful. When I was in college, Kate lived in one dorm and I lived in the other dorm. And so we would go out in the afternoons and we would go hang out. And her and I fell in love playing uh, racquetball at the college. And it was great because I didn't know anything about racquetball and she didn't know much about racquetball. She played more than I did, actually. But we fell in love in this racquetball court, whacking this blue ball back and forth against the wall. I have no idea what we were doing, but that's where we fell in love. The thing about Ozark is they had a curfew, and it was separate dorms, and they locked them down. And so we would spend all day long, as soon as we were done with our classes, done with work, we would spend all of our time together. And then as the dorms were getting ready to close at whatever time they were closing, 9 or 10 or whatever they were, the dorms would close, and I would jet back across campus, get to my dorm, and then I would call her on the phone, and we would stay on the phone till as late as I could, as, as late as I could stay awake. And we would just talk on the phone, and we would just chat about stuff. We'd already been chatting. We'd already been talking about. It was so great. Here he comes. He's, he's come calling, bounding across the hills, chasing her down, coming to see her. Can I tell you guys something? Here's the deal. You got to take this all the way back to the playground. When you were in grade school, if you liked a girl, what did you do? Huh? What did you say? You chased her. That shouldn't end. That shouldn't end. Do you like her? <laughs> What's the chaser? But here's what we do. Caught her. Caught her. Come on. What's next? You're a giant loser. Are you kidding me? <laughs> really? Caught her? No. Chaser. Chaser. If you like her, chaser. If you don't like her, then don't chase her. But don't be surprised at what happens next. If you like her, chase her. It's true. Take it back to the playground. It's just true. If she likes you, she'll hit you. Okay? That's not true. That's not true. Not in any way is that nice or true. And some of you are like, I wish it were true. It's not true. <laughs> All right? I like him. I would love to hit him. I would like, like, love to hit him. So. It's springtime. Flowers are appearing on the earth. The season of singing has come. This is so gushy, you know? The fig tree formed its early fruit. Our love is just so wonderful. It's so wonderful. You know what happens typically about this time of the relationship? Something. Something happens. We don't have any details, but you can hear it in this next text that something has gone on. Something. It's him speaking, and here's what he says. My dove in the cleft of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet, and your face is lovely. I cannot help 
every time I read this, every single time I read this passage, I just, this is what I envision. Him leaned up against the bathroom door, like, babe, come out. <laughs> like, stop. Like, you're beautiful. I want to talk about it. Like, I want to, babe. Like, this is what I see every single time. My dove in the cleft of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your face is sweet and your voice is lovely. What dude says that unless he's in trouble, you know? <laughs> I want to talk about it now. Now you want to talk about it, right? It's the way it always goes, 100% of the time. This is the way it always goes. She's coming to him, and he's not moving. And then finally, it's one of those, okay, I'm done chasing him. And she turns, and he's like, oh, 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 nope, 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 too late, too late, too late. It's always, we miss each other all the time. He's coming, I'm going, all the time. It's the way it goes. There's got to be a moment in there to where we can have a conversation. What he is saying here is, listen, hey, we need to talk this out. Listen to the next verse. This is so cool. Verse 15. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyard, our vineyards that are in bloom. Remember, baby doll, it was just spring a minute ago. Can we talk about this, please? Please. We were just in love like just a minute ago. And I don't know what's going on, but something got in the vineyard and it messed everything up. Now, this is interesting. Fox gets in the vineyard. Pretty arid places, Middle East. Plant a vineyard. Not much water in the vineyard. Not much water in the desert. These foxes come up, and what they do is they're in the springtime, and they just eat the buds right off. The buds are full of water, and they eat the buds right off the vine. Which here's the problem. If you eat all the buds off the grapevine, that means there's no grapes. And if there's no grapes, there's no wine. And if there's no wine, there's no joy. And if there's no joy, this sucks. This is not awesome. And this is too easy to get into the habit of. Solomon's wisdom is this. Catch the foxes now. Catch them now. Don't wait until all of a sudden it's time for harvest and you're like, where's all the grapes? We got nothing. Wine is always connected to joy in the New Testament. That's one of the things you always see. Wine is connected to joy. It's this celebration, this cause for celebration. What do you do when you celebrate? Wine. Jesus' first miracle. He's at a wedding. And what does he produce? The best wine ever on the spot always synonymous with joy and what he says is we got to catch these foxes look baby i want to talk about this i want to have this conversation i'm ready to talk about it you should have wanted to talk about it on wednesday when i told you i was mad i know but i'm a man and i'm dumb and take me a minute and i'm ready now i'm ready i want to talk you hear the bathroom door unlock a little bit they want to have a conversation now catch for us the foxes See, the foxes come different ways. At my house, um, my wife is a very functional, pragmatic person. Operates a lot from the brain. Very cognitive, very calendar-driven. Just on point all the time. I take more of an artistic approach to life, you know? What are we going to do today? Maybe I'll become a painter. <laughs> I don't have to pick the kids up till 3. I think I'll become a painter. Painter it is. 
this is what I'm after today. And she's like, so what'd you do today? Well, I tried to become a painter. It didn't work out so well. But I got the kids on time. And that's what I did do. And that's the approach. Like, it's weird. And the foxes that have been in our vineyard have oftentimes been the fact that she is very calendar-driven and I don't know where the calendar is, you know? <laughs> These two things have caused more problems. Jared, did you get the girls? No, I did. I'm, 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 I'm leaving... I'm leaving Chanute now to go home, to, get, to go get them, you know? No, it's, it's too much. It's been a big problem with us. I want to grow up and be like her. She wants to grow up and be like me. We function head and heart, and that's the difference. That's the difference. That's a fox that we had to catch that was in our vineyard. It was going to ruin everything. There's going to be different ones. There's going to be different things. But listen, once you get married, there's nothing off limits. The vulnerability has to remain to where she can look into your life and she can say, this is a fox for me. You can say, but look, that's the way my dad did it. Well, uh, maybe your dad was wrong too. Ladies, there's got to be some vulnerability. If he says, this is the way I see this thing. Okay, maybe so. Maybe that's a fox. You've got to work through it. There's got to be conversation about it. They must have reconciled. They must have gotten all the foxes out of the vineyard because when we get to verse 16, listen to what she says. My lover is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies. That's the word shepherds. He shepherds. Take it just a step further. Feeds or grazes. Okay? Doesn't seem too important now. It will in a minute. My lover is mine and I am his. He grazes. He feeds among the lilies. I am the rose of Sharon. I am the... Until the day breaks and the shadows flee. Shadows flee? What's that mean? No fear. It's gentle. Things are nice. Until the shadows flee. There's this idea that when Jesus comes into our life, he illuminates there's these verses that talk about when light is shined into darkness, darkness does not know what to do, does not know how to handle the light that shines. She says he comes in and when he shines his light, all of a sudden, all the shadows flee. There's no worry anymore. And the shadows flee. Turn, my lover, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the rugged hills. I should have put a warning slide up, but I didn't. There is much debate on this topic, but the general consensus is that there are no... Your Bible may say the hills of Bether or the mountains of Bether. Um, there's some argument about what this is. The general consensus, there are no hills of Bether. The hills of separation... The mountains that stand side by side. The rugged hills that she's speaking of have to do with her body. Her response to him is, this is what I want from you. Come here to me. 
you be like a gazelle that pounces, that pounces across the rugged hills, the hills of separation, the hills, or another, another term for it was the hilly parts. This is beautiful. She says, all night long, I looked for the one my heart loves. I looked for him, but I did not find him. I will get up now and go about the city through the streets and the squares, and I will search for the one my heart loves. So I looked for him, but I did not find him, and the watchman found me as they made their rounds in the city. Have you seen the one my heart loves? Scarcely I had passed them. When I found the one my heart loves, I held him, and I would not let him go till I had brought him to my mother's house, to the room of the one who conceived me. She says, I dreamt about him, and when I woke up, he wasn't there. Now I want to go find him because I think about him all the time. So I'm going to go find him. And then she finds him and she says, it's time, it's time for us to make this thing real. Like this is a real, like I just want to be with you and near you. This is what I want. Number one, compliment ready. Number two, resolution ready. Listen, there's going to be conflict. Resolution ready. Be ready to make, be ready to make the, the, um, the amends that you need to make. Be ready to say, I'm sorry. It shouldn't be that hard to say, I'm sorry. It shouldn't be that hard. But we get in that place to where we're like, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. Well, I'm sorry your mom and dad messed you up. I'm sorry that I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Be resolution ready. Be willing to say, I'm sorry. Check this out. One of my favorite verses. I know I say that a lot. Romans 2.4, I think. Let me look. 2.4.4.2. Oh, I think it's 2.4. Listen to the way. Oh, this is it. Yeah. Romans 2.4. So when you, a mere man, this is three. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Verse four. Or do you not know? Or do you show contempt for the riches of, of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that it was God's patience that led you to repentance? Another, another verse says, don't you, don't you know that it's God's kindness that brought you to repentance? Let me tell you how it's worked historically at my house. If she offends me or if I offend her, what we do is we spend our, the rest of our time, the next 15, 20 minutes, making the other person feel bad for what they have done in hopes that my leveraging them will cause them to repent. Don't you know that it's God's kindness that brought you to repentance? Did you come to God because he said, if you don't knock it off, I'm going to get you? No. You came to God because he continued to let you walk over him over and over and over. And you trampled through the blood of Christ over and over and over. And you took advantage of the cross over and over and over. And you used grace like a bad credit card over and over and over. And finally you got to that place of maturity to where you said, 
I'm not a good person. I need to change my ways. God, I'm sorry. And God's kindness brought you to repentance. Does it work the same way at our houses? Ah. No. I'm giving him the silent treatment. I'm giving her the silent treatment. That'll let her know. Let me tell you something about the silent treatment. My wife can do it. I, on the other hand, can't do the thing. Can't do it. I'm like, you know what? I'm not talking to her. <laughs> not doing it. Not, not, I'm not talking to her. I'm not looking at her. I'm not communicating with her. I'm just going to go about my business. And when she sees that I'm not talking to her, she'll be like, is something wrong? And dead. I'm backing the dump truck up and I'm going to let her have it, you know? <laughs> I'm going to give her both barrels. She's going to get it. This is going to be really, really good. All I'm waiting on is for her to ask. As soon as she asks, let me tell you something. My wife is not going to ask because it's a vacation if I'm not talking. That's the, <laughs> that's the boat I'm in. That's the boat I'm in. But she's like, he's not talking. Everything must be great, you know? And I'm like, it doesn't work. She, on the other hand, can compartmentalize the situation. She seems like she's, you know, like, like, like she's mad about something. But, you know, everything's good. Hey, baby, you good? Yep. That means no. That's a no. That's an absolute no. Baby, you sure everything's good? Mm-hmm. I feel like maybe you're saying yes in a different way. That's what I feel like, you know. You sure everything's good? We can talk about it later. Oh, that's like, wait till your dad gets home. That's just what that means. That's the same thing. Just wait till your dad gets home. You know, I saw, I saw, you, uh, I saw you stole something from the store and now you hit it under your bed. Wait till your dad gets home. Oh, this is going to be bad, bad, bad. Waiting's bad. When you talk about it, it's going to be bad. Whatever happens afterwards is going to be bad, bad. See, the silent treatment is not how we operate. There ought to be this, this time to where we come together and we say, okay, can we get honest with each other and be honest about where we're going with this relationship and the commitments that we make? Let's be honest. Can we do this? Can we have this conversation? If the answer is no, check this out. If the answer is no, that is a sign that you need to involve somebody else. I've been there. Katie and I have been there. If you get to that place to where you cannot have that conversation anymore, you have to involve somebody else because immediately that makes everything better. You will get honest. You will get, you will get accountable. You begin to be, think through things differently. But listen, inside of your own head, you're right. And you continue to build these worlds on top of these, these things you're mad about. And it doesn't work. It does not work. When, the, when it all comes crumbling down, none of that stuff is real. You have to process it. I understand being mad. I understand having your feelings hurt. My wife understands being mad. She understands having her feelings hurt. But if we continue to build a world on top of these kind of things, we cannot make progress and move forward. We can't. If my job is to love her as Christ loved the church, never once has Jesus said, slammed the door in my face and said, you know what, come back when you got a better attitude. In fact, what he said was, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. I'm the one knocking. And he who will answer and open up to me, I will come in. 
do I love my wife like Christ loved the church? Do I love her in the kind of way that I'm going to chase her? I'm going to be ready to compliment her. I'm going to be ready to uh, resolve situations that we have together. That I'm going to be the initiator when it comes to apologizing. We need to solve this problem. Babe, we need to talk about this. I know I'm a day late, but I need to get, I, we need to talk through this. That's our responsibility. Now listen, I don't love having that responsibility. I don't love it. I mean, as a man, I don't love it. Ladies, this doesn't let you off the hook. Not at all. You have to be just as ready to compliment, just as ready to forgive. But men, as leaders of the home, you are the initiator. You handle your stuff. No, you getting mad and storming off. You just staying gone, blocking everything out. Doesn't work. Let's go back to Song of Solomon. She said, I dreamt about him and I woke up and he wasn't there. And now we need to, we need to get this thing right. Verse 5, daughters of, of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. This is the third time, I believe the third time, that she has stopped the physical side of the relationship. She has stopped it. She's drawn the line and she said, you know what I want. She has been very explicit about what she wants. She's been very vocal about what she wants. But she stops and she says, this isn't the right time. It's not the right time. Do you want God to bless your relationship? The answer is yes. Do you know what the uh, divorce rate inside of the, in, uh, out into the world, outside the church is? It's about 50%. Do you know what it is inside the church? 50%. Again, it's completely indiscriminate on who it will take and who it will demolish. Absolutely indiscriminate. The only thing that helps us survive that and have joy and catch the foxes is God's blessing on our relationship. Now, is this the only way to get the blessing? No, not at all. Well, what if we cross that line already and we don't know what to do? That's easy. It's the same pattern for every other sin that you've ever committed in your life. You repent. You change it. You back up. You go to her and you apologize and say, you know what? We did this thing, we did this thing wrong. Jump the gun on this thing. And I know it was years ago, and I know we're married now, but you know what? We jumped the gun. And I just want to tell you I'm sorry. And that was wrong of me, and I didn't know. Now I know, and I'd like to apologize. And if you're in that spot, ladies, and then you need to look at him, and you need to say, you know what? I forgive you, and I apologize too. And if you're single, and you don't have that person, but you've crossed that line, then your response is this. <sighs> he forgives, and he loves, and it's his kindness that brought me to repentance, and so I'm repenting, and I'm going to say... Okay, God, I'm going to live different. I'm going to hold out for you. I'm going to hold out. I'm going to keep my purity for you. Because that's what you would want me to do. And I'm going to bank on the fact that you're going to bless me with a great life and a great marriage and a wonderful husband if I hold to these rules. And I can promise you something. He will. He will bless you for that decision. He will bless you for that decision. Because they wait. Because they wait. Look what happens next. This is so cool. How are we on time? I can't see. Okay. Last, last one. Good gosh, it goes so fast. <laughs> Especially when we're on this topic. Chapter 3, verse 6. Who is this coming up from the desert? 
like a column of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and incense made from all the spices of the merchant. Who is this coming up from the desert like a column of smoke? One more time. Who is this coming up from the desert like a column of smoke? This should bring back some memory somewhere of something. Any ideas where? Israel, I heard someone say Israel. They come out of Egypt and they travel and when they travel by night, there is a pillar of fire and when they travel by day, there is a what? Column of smoke. She says, we need to wait. And then she says, who is this man that is so much like God? Who is this godly man coming up from the desert like a column of smoke, protecting me on all sides from the scorching heat, from the blizzardy cold? Who is this man of God? That's her response. When we obey God, we are blessed. Does that mean that we have to give up and sacrifice something on the front side? Yeah, yeah, it does. But you're not sacrificing anything that's even going to be comparable to what he blesses you with. Look, she says, I know who this man is. It's Solomon's carriage, escorted by 60 warriors the noblest of Israel, all of them wearing the sword, all experienced in battle, each one with the sword at his side, prepared for the terrors of the night. When I got married, up on the stage beside me, my groomsmen, best men, I had a football coach, who has coached numerous NFL athletes. I had a Marine sniper. I had my best friend from high school who was maybe one of the craziest and wildest guys I've ever met in my entire life. I had a guy who was, uh, who was uh, going and doing NFL combines at the time. In fact, I just got a text message from him the other day and he is a couple inches taller than me he sent me a text message of him bench pressing um, 495 pounds. Massive, massive man. And then my brother. These were the guys who were on the stage with me. I'm telling you what, there was something about me that was a little proud about who was on this stage. The, the Marine sniper guy's got this massive beard and all this hair. These other guys are just big, tall, strapping, just rugged guys. Something in this. There's something in this. Here he comes, escorted by 60 of Israel's most noblest soldiers, all experienced with the sword, all prepared for the terrors of the night. There is a comfort that comes with knowing that your spouse has friends. There's a comfort in knowing that they are good friends. If you don't believe this is true, then consider the fact that what if your spouse had very, very terrible, bad, influential friends? That can disrupt a marriage pretty easy too, right? 
Those are his drinking buddies. Right? Those are her girlfriends that she goes to the bar with. Those are her... She says, these men, they're loyal to one person and one person only. My husband. My man. I've said this before and I say it all the time. And right when I think to myself, okay, surely I don't have to say this anymore. Um, something happens and I feel, like I, I feel like a broken record, like I say it all the time. If you think that you get to function in this world without having some sort of partner, some sort of camaraderie, some sort of other group of people of your same sex, if you think you can operate in this world on your own, you are wrong. Wrong. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You cannot continue in this life by having just you two. It's a recipe for pure disaster. The only reason you should ever be alone by yourself all the time for the rest of however long is if you got stranded on an island, and I bet you go on opposite sides of the island. It doesn't work. You have to have a new perspective. You have to. There's got to be outside people who can speak into your life, who you respect and go, okay, that's true. People who you can say, you know what, I don't mind being wrong around. People who will check you. I got a buddy who always asks me the same thing. Always asks me the same thing, and I love the question, and it's so perfect. How are you and Kate doing? To which I always say, good. And then he always says, if I ask her, would she say the same? Which basically means, I think you've got a proclivity to lie to me about this. I think you would just play nice and not get into it. I think you'd save face. So if I ask her, would she say the same? Now there's times so that he'll ask that question. So how are you and Kate doing? Crap. Freaking terrible. Her and I are at odds. We're mad. She's mad. I'm mad. She's insensitive. She hurt my feelings. <laughs> She said something mean, like I didn't look good in these jeans or something. I don't know. She's, she's mad. And I have to be honest and I have to talk about those kind of things. Listen, you have to do that in your own life. Next step is this. If you think that's going to naturally unfold in your relationship, you're also wrong. And you're also conceited, if you don't mind me saying. If you think there's a rescue committee that's going to come and jump into your life and be like, so is everything good? You're going to lie anyway, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Things are good. Things are good. Look, if you want that in your life, you've got to go get that in your life. You've got to go build those relationships. You cannot do it. It does not work. I have to have a new perspective, a new creative approach to my marriage. Somebody else is going to hold me accountable to handle in my business. That's always the way it goes. Last part. Solomon's, uh, let's see. King Solomon made for himself this carriage. He made it of the wood from Lebanon. Its post he made of silver, its base gold. Its seat was upholstered by, with purple, its interior lovingly inlaid by the daughters of Jerusalem. Come out, you daughters of Zion, and look at King Solomon wearing the crown, the crown on which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day his heart rejoiced. This is the wedding day. This was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful day. 
Um, next week, we're going to the honeymoon. Next week, you need to make sure your kids are downstairs. You've been warned, all right? Unless you want this conversation to go a different direction when you get home for lunch or at the Pizza Hut, um, my advice, get them downstairs if, if you're not ready because this, this, goes, this goes to some important places um, that we probably need to talk about. Let's pray and we'll get out of here. God, we love you and we thank you so much for your word and we ask that you will uh, bless us, that you will give us the courage to make the decisions that we need to make. Uh, we thank you for your forgiveness and we know that if we are faithful in confessing our sins that you are faithful and just forgiving our sins. But we ask that you will renew our hearts, Lord, in, uh, in some ways uh, in purity, some ways in righteousness and in, in the ways that we need to learn that you forgave us and we need to be forgiving. Pray that you will give us the courage that we need to face the things that we have in our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being